Hello and welcome to The Dirt in association with the DC Thompson Shop. This is the podcast that asks you to leave any negativity at the door and to forgive us for our awful puns. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Emily, Grow Your Own senior content creator. On today's episode, we'll be discussing gardening expectations and plants that have been grown in another world. But first, we are chatting to Andy Eddy from National Trust's Osterley Park and House. Hello, Andy. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. Good, good. Um, What can you tell us about what's going on in the garden at the moment and where are you as we record? Well, as we speak, I'm gaining a bit of um, bit of quietness in the middle of our great meadow, which is, as you as you can tell, is uh, is full of um, long grass, wildflowers, and surrounded by butterflies. So oh, I'm looking across lovely. at the uh, at Robert Adam Mansion and stable block, and behind that stable block, we have a Tudor wall garden, and that's where we grow all our veg. Oh, mm. Wonderful, lovely. So you've got a, a lovely, relaxing environment for for our chat. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so can you tell us a little bit about the walled garden? Um, how much space have you got there? What are you growing there at the moment? It's about an acre. And as I said, Tudor walled garden, so 500 years old. So lovely, lovely deep soil. It was actually um, closed off and, and full of brambles 15 years ago when I came here. So we restored it over the years and put, um, put four large formal beds in. So it's sort of like an ornamental cottager. And I wanted it to be an ornamental vegetable garden because um, the trust, the National Trust, you know, who I work for, yeah. already has lots of very formal kitchen gardens. And this never was a kitchen garden. Oh, it was right. actually just put in to, uh, to grow trees, trees for the estate many years ago. Mm-hmm. But I also knew that, um, that uh, you know, it, it, it's nice to grow vegetables, which we, which we do organic vegetables for the, um, for the cafe. But... Um, I wanted it to look good as well as uh, as well as to um, as to taste good as well. So that's why we've gone for the uh, the ornamental cottager form. Yeah, lovely. And um, so you must have overseen quite a transformation in the time that you've been working there, and that must be really really rewarding. It's very rewarding, actually. I mean, it's um, <laughs> if you're a gardener and like gardening like I am, to have um, to have a big new um. T- Toy box and with lots of toys to play with and put lots of features <laughs> in, do things as you would like. I mean, it's it's, ever, it's everyone's dream to be perfectly honest. Yeah, hundred mm, percent. So reflecting back on um, the time that you've spent, um, uh, you know, on your, your gardening career, what would you say are your real successes um, in the garden so far? Um, well, well, actually, this will be a sound of quite a strange one. It will sound actually quite technical. But um, because of the way the garden is laid out at Osterley, I've, I've sort of zoned it for three different times of the year. So right. we've got a restored 18th century ladies' flower garden, which has beautiful old-fashioned flowers in it, the kind of things that you get in storybooks for children with Canterbury bells and lupins and irises. Aww. And that typically runs out of steam in the middle of the summer. So that's why we plant the ornamental potager up to look good all the way through the autumn. And yeah. then we have a winter garden, which I put in as well. So actually the fact that we've got, um, we've got an offer, it's sounding like I'm advertising the place, but it's just the fact <laughs> that we've got colour, yeah. colour for the visitors all the year. And it's really lovely to hear them say, well, oh, I'm glad we've got it the good week. Uh-huh. And they sort of say that all the way, all the way through the year. And that's, that's quite pleasing for me and the team, really. Yeah, yeah, that's so lovely. And uh, also good for returning visitors because there's always something new to see. Absolutely. That's the nice thing about gardening. I mean, I know we're going to talk a bit later about successes and failures. 
but it's the difference each year and the successes and failures that keeps us interested isn't it yeah yeah absolutely you must feel a real sense that you've you've gotten to know the space that you're growing in though if you're able to to time things that well and and have that sort of um, breadth of knowledge of what you know when things will flower well, and when things will be ready that that's the aim and he blithely says it but it's, it's <laughs> well you know weather weather happens and other things happen yeah. and things like storm Eunice happen so uh it, it it never goes according to plan but that's the point of it isn't it really <laughs> yeah um also there must be a lot of difference between growing as you do for your job and also growing in your own garden? I think it's continuity at work, really. I mean, when I'm at home in my own little garden, I can, I can you know, move things and chop things down and I'm not labelling things, I'm moving them about. When you're doing things to, uh, to show people what you're doing, then you have to... Um, and you have to things have things laid out um, safely and properly. So it's, a, it's, it's that sort of professional, professional edge, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, what would you say uh, is your biggest sort of mistake or failure on the plot so far <laughs> well I, it, it's interesting I was thinking about you um asking me that and it's one that happens um quite frequently every every two or three years you'll have a crop <laughs> but you've grown really successfully every year and you've sown it either in the ground or inside and then you'll get a year when nothing comes up yeah <laughs> and you don't know whether it was the weather conditions whether it was the seed, although I've got a good supply of her, really reliable, mm. or what's just happened. But suddenly got this, 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 this whole row, this whole patch where the carrots didn't germinate or the celeriac oh. didn't germinate. <laughs> and I mean, luckily we keep, we keep a few spares, a few spares behind the scenes. But um, yeah, it's, it's a strange one. It's all yeah. just to keep you on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it certainly does. Yeah. I do think that's one of the things that it's really important to flag to new growers, though, that there are just years where for seemingly no reason things don't work. It doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Just have a try again next year. That's the thing. And that's, and, and that's actually the thing that which might be a bit um, demoralising for new gardeners is not knowing that they might have had a batch of seed from the seed growers to all intents and purposes which weren't going to germinate or it was just the weather conditions or something happened and it does happen mm. i mean when you've been gardening and i've been gardening and farming for 40 years now you sort of roll with it and realize oh well there's always next year mm. yeah that's yeah, true definitely um so how do you deal in such a large space with um things like inclement weather because that must be a whole different challenge on on a big scale well it is and actually inclement weather doesn't really affect us because of where we are in west london we're in the really dry part of the uh, of the country so actually if it gets so wet for um you know for what we're doing in the summer we're actually really pleased so uh, that doesn't usually stop us in the winter maybe it's more the fact that we don't get enough rain for, for the veg that we grow and so of course we're totally organic here we've been making mm. masses and masses of compost every year and that's what um, we pile on in the winter when we put it on between a foot and 18 inches deep, would you mm. believe? Oh, wow. I mean, it, it sounds like a heck of a lot. <laughs> and what we also do is here is, is we, we collect all our leaves, which take at least three years to rot down. Mm. But they make the most amazing compost as well. So, so that's the answer for us is the fact that um, putting all this compost on. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It must be really satisfying as well when you have the visitors walking around and you're able to talk to people about the gardens and pass on ideas from bits of the garden that people have seen and particularly loved and want to recreate in their own spaces. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think people, we, you know, we, we often forget that in our job is that most of the people who come to visit us 
do what we're doing on a smaller scale at home. Mm-hmm. So they always want to talk to us. They always want to ask questions. And they also want to talk about their own gardens, yeah. which for us is really lovely and interesting. And I guess, to be quite honest, that's probably quite unusual for most careers yeah. that the people that you're interacting with are doing it themselves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. Do you ever have any people ask you about um, how to have, you know, grow more organically or how people can implement that on a smaller scale? Most definitely, all the time. I mean, they see the way, the way we do certain things and the way we're doing certain things in the gardening. I mean, for instance, you know, if we've got a whole lot of cabbage white butterfly caterpillars on the cabbages, then we'll have all, all be out there, the whole team of all the volunteers picking them off by hand <laughs> and people stop and ask us and we'll say, you know, this is far better than, um, you know, using any chemicals or sprays because then the stuff that we eat is, um, you know, isn't, isn't, isn't hurting us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit I'm a bit gamekeeper turned poacher when it comes to um <laughs> when it comes to being organic because up until 15 years ago when I came here I and mean, I've worked in other gardens and and on the farm where you know you sprayed everything in sight mm. but that was just the done thing and it isn't until you stop and question what you're doing all day and every day that you realise that you don't necessarily need to do these things yeah and if there's a certain plant that won't grow successfully for you without sprays then grow another yeah completely um so. Bringing you on to the tips section, um, I was wondering if you have any sort of cheeky shortcuts or swerves in the garden because obviously a lot of people over the last couple of years have taken up gardening but may have slightly less time to do it now than they did before. So do you have any good shortcuts you can share? Well, I would think, I mean, it depends on whether you're doing it in, you know, what size garden, whether you've got a little raised bed or on a balcony or something. But I would always say, Whatever it says on the seed packet about sowing indoors or sowing outdoors, when it gets to this time of year, or you know, even even later in the spring, try growing things outdoors straight into the soil. Mm. Try you know, just doing a little drill and, and dribbling the seed in because Mother Nature doesn't grow things in pots on windowsills, does she? <laughs> or have to, you know, next to a heated radiator, all those things. No. The things the seeds drop off and fall on the ground, and that's how they um that's how they grow. So more often than not virtually every single seed you have you can sow outside directly and that saves all the time and all the trouble and there'll be much healthier plants yeah yeah that's so true i think we can get so caught up in it all can't we <laughs> we can and also if, you, if you're new and you're reading the back of a packet it'll sound quite authoritative and you're following the, following <laughs> the rules and doing what you, you know what you think you should do but sometimes you know have a, have a bit of fun have a bit of an experiment and try something um you know try something slightly different yeah definitely um, so what would you be able to tell us about any of your gardening experiments, be they successful or not? <laughs> well, actually, I will talk a bit more about the ornamental side of the, the veg garden, the potager, because it's, mm-hmm. it's divided into four plots. One is one is, is strictly straight veg in rows that we grow for um, the cafe. Mm-hmm. One is a plot full of pumpkins. And then the other two are really ornamental. Yeah. So we have lots and lots of self-sown purple leaves things like amaranth amaranthus love lies bleeding okay and also there's things like purple orash and other things and i mean the amaranth for instance is um is actually quinoa quinoa yeah i mean you can't harvest it in this country but all of these things they pop up on their own each year and we sort of work around them they have dark purple leaves which I then use as foil for the other plants in the bed oh. and so we fill the whole bed up with every kind of tail and cabbage for the for the autumn and winter that equally has ornamental leaves and yeah. then through those we plant dark red gladiolis dark red zinnias 
um, big patches of um, tobacco plants, anything that will look colourful. So by the end of the summer, it's sort of head height, this sort of Rousseau-esque colour of um, all these vegetables, hugger-mugger, but with all these flowers growing through them. And it does look stunning. And and the cheap tip of this is, and I have to stop some of my gardeners who who want to be a little bit more professional than me is, (laughs) is that um, I've done this on quite a grand scale and we probably need a larger team here to manage this. But at the beginning, which is sort of now before things cover the ground, I'm quite happy for the to be a few weeds underneath, which once the plants grow taller, you will not see. Yeah. And so if you hold your nerve, the things grow up, it's full of colour and looks lovely, and you haven't have to be in there hand weeding all the way through. Whereas in the, the, the veg plot with the uh, with the straight rows, you've got to be neat and tidy because it shows up every mistake. Yeah. And in the other one, we um, you know, we can be a bit freer and a bit more romantic. Mm. We've also I've also got our handyman to build us some obelisks, you know, wooden obelisks yeah. to grow climbers up. Mm-hmm. And instead of doing them dark green, as you would normally do, you know, a nice, tasteful National Trust dark green, they're bright yellow, very <laughs> yellow. And, uh, and I, we grow blue morning glory up those. And it, it, by the end of the summer, it, it does look stunning. Yeah, I think it's really lovely as well to be able to showcase different growing methods in in the same space because you're kind of showing that one size doesn't necessarily fit all and you can grow whatever kind of garden suits you precisely and also you can have it for those people who like to be neat and in rows with everything absolutely immaculate or the other side you can show that actually if you've been away for a few weeks and some weeds coming up the other things will grow over and cover them and actually it doesn't matter yeah i mean i think that's quite a salutary lesson for for amateur gardeners as well that um you don't have to feel like your garden has to look like a national trust or a stately home garden where everything is gardened, you know, with professional gardeners. It's your garden. You can do what you want. Mm. Yeah, I think um, I think that's such an important thing that people under- people need to understand that do what suits you, do what fits your space, the time you've got to do it, the, mm. you know, money you've got to spend on it, whatever it might be, make it work for you. And I think that's what's so nice about being able to go and get lots of inspiration from places but knowing that you can make it work in your own way i mean we can pick up the smallest of ideas and take away with us can't we mm. it's um you know I, i'm always looking around and um and gleaning from uh, from other people <laughs> there's, a, yeah, there's a saying within the trust steal with pride <laughs> <laughs> which is what we do that must be one of the really lovely things about working for the national trust that you have got a load of really great inspiration there certainly have although i seem to find more and more of my inspiration now from from smaller private gardens little gardens where people it's people's you know complete passion yeah and they're growing things in a certain way and um you know and it, it's it's their special place and they love those special plants in a certain way yeah i mean i've got a friend who's the national collection holder of brambles would you believe rubus <laughs> and he's got about 250 different brambles in a five acre field near his house and he loves them and <laughs> all laid out in rows of all these different shapes and sizes of flowers and fruit. And it's amazing, really. Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. It is. It is. So it doesn't have to be, you know, grand sweeping lawns to uh, to give you pleasure, does it? No. no. <laughs> so to bring you on to our last question, and I know this might be a, a difficult one with um, with the career that you've had spanning spanning a lot of gardening, but if there's one... Thing that you've learned that you would say is the most important lesson that you've learned since you've been gardening what would you say that is look after the soil without a shadow of a doubt all the stuff i was saying about mulching and everything else unless you do that you may as well not do anything else it's mm. absolutely the most important thing 
yeah. as much as you can afford to get or you can move into your house with bags taking it through the you know through the house and through the kitchen but yeah putting putting compost on putting that organic mulch back in is absolutely the, the most fundamental part um so where would you advise um for example home growers to start with making their own compost well i mean you can get wormeries which are really good for all your kitchen scraps and then you'll get some nice stuff from them or if you've got a bit more room you can have a little bin in the corner where you put in all the waste that comes off the garden and then you know there's green waste that you can get from from your local council so there's there's all sorts of different supplies and uh, and also i mean if, if there's a tree surgeon coming down your street and he's chipping up you know the branches he's cut off he might not want to cart that stuff away so you can always ask him to, to dump it outside your house and barrow it in so there's lots of ways to get hold of stuff, mm. depending on your size of, you know, allotment, garden, balcony, patio, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, well, thank you very much for chatting to us today. It's been really nice to hear your tips. And also, we've now got the lovely visual of how nice it must be to sit in such a beautiful, relaxing <laughs> spot to, to do the chat. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. And um, But we will let you get back to it now. Um, but thanks very much for chatting to us. Yeah, thank you so much. My, my, my pleasure. DC Thompson Shop has a wide range of garden plants, accessories and gifts. Save up to 50% with many collections. For a garden that takes care of itself with effortless, low-maintenance plants, the shop has lots of popular bulbs, bedding plants and ground cover perennials too. For real garden enthusiasts, there is a choice of more unusual varieties. However green your fingers, there is something for everyone. Visit dcthompsonshop.co.uk and place your order today. Hello. Hey. How are you doing on this sunny day? Yeah, good. Well, melting a little bit, I won't lie. It's quite warm in here. (laughs) Speaking of environments, and this is... Wow, that was a tenuous link. As you <laughs> um, I saw a story on the BBC that could be absolutely revolutionary for the world of gardening. Basically, moon soil has been used to grow plants for the first time. Mm. Oh, wow. Moon soil. That's amazing. Mm. So it says scientists have grown plants in lunar soil for the first time in an important step towards making long term stays on the moon possible. Oh, have they said anything about um the differences between the moon soil and earth's or is it just yeah kind of- um it is in the early stages mm. and it says that um the seeds much to their surprise sprouted after two days oh that's quite um, quick. so that was quite an astonishing result yeah um but that actually the differences started to show once the plants were growing it said the plants grown in moon soil started to show stress developed more slowly and ended up more stunted oh. as they growed, o- growed on. As they growed <laughs> on. Yeah, sure. Um, but they say it is a breakthrough and um, it's sort of a crucial step towards, guess, getting people yeah. on the moon. But I mean, how would that make you feel? Like, oh, yeah, you can grow some plants on the moon now, so you can just go to the moon sometimes. Well, I was oh. thinking more like garden centres having bags of, like, moon compost or moon, moon <laughs> ground. Wow. And, like, picking people picking that up. I thought it was going to be like, oh, we produce these super plants on the moon. But actually, no, if you want sort of mildly disappointing plants, then grow them on the moon. <laughs> I suppose, that, I suppose though, it is only the start of 
the experiment. True, true. Yeah. I'd still be very, very hesitant about actually visiting the moon myself. Mm, I like yeah. to have my feet firmly planted on the earth. Mm. And obviously when you think about it, like you don't often sow seeds in just, like you don't just pick up like ground from the back garden and sow your seeds in it. Nor like, you know, sometimes obviously on the plot you do, but like if you're looking to really harness the, like the potential of the plant, you might use a compost or something that's been treated in some way yeah. and enhanced with nutrients. So yeah. yeah, it depends on what you compare it to, I suppose. Yeah. Um, they also say here that this fundamental plant growth research is a key example of how NASA is working to unlock agricultural innovations that could help us understand how plants might overcome stressful conditions in food scarce areas on air. Mm. That's really interesting. Oh, see, this is good. Yeah, I mean, what a, what a trip to the moon and back to say, right, we're just gonna like I've just I've got it in my head. They probably didn't. Probably they probably <laughs> bought like, loads of soil, but I'm just thinking like a tiny cup and just take it, <laughs> taking it back on their spaceship back to Earth, just so they could grow one little tomato seedling in it. Yeah, <laughs> it's been all that way. Hell yeah. of a commute. Yeah, that is mad, yeah. isn't it? Or gardening's not just becoming worldwide. Yeah. Throughout the generations, it's becoming But imagine if it was like a tomato. <laughs> Would the tomatoes be like a different shape or a different colour because they're from the moon? Like mutant tomatoes. Yeah, like an oh, alien. Oh my goodness. Imagine if that was the first time that anyone had ever grown kohlrabi. You would be like, yeah. what has happened? This space vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does look like it belongs on the moon, doesn't it? But yeah that's true i do feel a tiny little bit like maybe let's just stop wrecking the planet that we're on <laughs> before we start you know well sourcing our problems to i do else. actually think that that story ties in quite nicely with what i was going to bring to the chat was um about managing gardening expectations we're oh, talking God, about yeah. gardening on the moon here i think we need to manage our expectations <laughs> yeah um good point because i've started to realize since i, I bought my house about just over a year ago and I'm starting to realise that gardening is very much like maintaining my house and, and, and the housework that I do every week in terms of that it's quite easy with my personality to get overwhelmed with how much I have to do or that I decide that I need to do in a certain week. Yeah. And I've started to sit there and, and actually evaluate, right, what actually really needs to be done now and what can wait till later. Yeah. And, you know, time is of the essence with gardening. I appreciate that there are certain months that you really do need to get crops in the ground and what have you. But how do you manage your own gardening expectations? What do you feel pressure to, to do? On my recent raised bed. <laughs> Sophie's corner. Yeah. Need a jingle for it. Um, I, I Most of the work that I do on that is at the weekends because that's when I have the most time. Mm. On the weekend you can get up and you can you can do things and I think that's good to contain your expectations to like a few days whereas although sometimes throughout the week I think oh I could be more productive like I'll go and give it a water mm. and things like that but you do sort of feel like I should be doing more. Yeah. You know you sort of think like should I be they're just sitting out there should I be doing more should I be weedy I mean I've, I've had no weeds come up yeah because I put so much compost in there probably <laughs> but um, um, but yeah, no, I, I think it depends on your lifestyle, doesn't it? And things yeah. and what you can fit in around. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's easy to feel that you should be doing more. Yeah. For a lot of people. Definitely. Especially yeah. if, like you say, if you do live, lead a busy lifestyle. Yeah. And I know from years ago, I used to really pamper. I, I grew way too many plants and I <laughs> did my best to pamper all of them. Yeah. 
And I just remember thinking back and thinking, oh, I had a long day at work. I'd be out for like 12 hours a day. I'd get home. And then I was spending my evenings just like continuously watering and, and tending to them. You spread yourself too and thin. You, yeah, yeah, you do. And that sounds silly, but you do. And you look back and you think, actually, no, like I don't water halves often as I used to. I still, my plants are still doing well. I don't, yeah. I just manage what I'm happy to do each day and actually scale it down. And then if I want to do more in a given day, then I can. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Definitely. I think as well, I don't know if you two feel this, but there's a certain level of pressure of having the job that we have. Yeah. In that people expect you to have a really nice garden. Yeah. (laughs) uh, People might be disappointed when they come to Mm. my garden. But um, I think that my whole attitude has completely transformed from understanding the role that sometimes leaving things a bit wild can play in nature in that I used to be stressed about there being weeds or something not being quite right and now I'm like do you know what that nice little patch of dandelions over there um the bees are gonna like it yeah. <laughs> and like I think I've mentioned on here before about um when my raised bed with loads of salad in it last year bolted um because we had loads of hot weather and then loads of rain and then loads of hot weather <laughs> and it would have been quite easy to be like, oh no, none of my salads have worked. But actually, I went and sat out there on a chair with a book and just looked at the bees for a while. Yeah. And thought, you know what? Yeah. This is so great. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think as well, the th- most important thing to remember is it's supposed to be enjoyable. It's supposed to be something that you do as a bit of relief from the stresses of life. Mm, so don't yeah. make it a stress in your life. And exactly. I think it's really easy to do that. And I think when I first moved into my house, I had great visions of where everything was going to be and it was going to look a certain way and it was going to be beautiful it wasn't in any way realistic with the space and everything else like I think I do fall into the trap of forgetting the size of my garden sometimes (laughs) like it's not enormous but don't you think with anything even any hobby doesn't have to be gardening but if you're not careful when you do have a certain personality type it's easy to turn it into a chore yeah Yeah. with the expectations that you put on yourself I have to get this done this bit Mm. I have to and if I don't I've failed I've let myself down or and you know I wonder how many listeners feel like that about about their garden and like you say it's supposed to be a source of joy but Mm. I do think sometimes it can be a source of frustration as well I think as well another thing um I mean and this isn't really to do with pressure in the garden Mm. but I really like when I go into the garden not having my phone in my pocket or not having anything like that and just going outside and just being present in the garden yeah and I think as well allowing yourself the time to just enjoy the space and take in what you've done and I mean there's nothing tell me something more pleasurable than on a summer evening just going out into the garden having a little look around at everything maybe pop a tomato in your mouth as you're walking around and <laughs> perhaps a cheeky yeah. beverage in your hand as well you yeah. know yeah <laughs> just I because the thing is I think in any anything that you do it's really easy to be like right I want to be good at this yeah I want to this to be a success but I think one of the really nice things about gardening that I know we've said a million times there's always next year that actually success looks different year to year Mm, like I know that I said before last year my beans were an absolute disaster because I tried everything within my human capabilities (laughs) and the slugs were not being kept away (laughs) there were the sheep's wool things around them I'd made mini stonehenge out of some like (laughs) pointy stones I'd put um other I put loads of like nasturtiums and stuff in around the edge of everything as like a plant barrier nothing worked Mm. no they wanted those beans yeah (laughs) tomatoes 
went mad had tons of them yeah I think that's the thing that success looks different every season yeah and I think that kind of helps as well oh 100 percent. that's true things vary don't they yeah indeed they do well and you you talk about a mindful experience in the garden well I've been really really into you know I've been trying to learn bird calls and all sorts like <laughs> bird songs because I'm just I've I've always been quite fascinated by birds mm. in the garden but especially lately I don't know I've just began to notice I think the more time you spend in the garden the more you sort of having a little robin pal that's just sort of hopping around yeah. while you're doing your work Aww. it's just lovely and I think you know and I <laughs> Uh, there's a um, a couple of great tits that have been uh, ne- where we think might have been nesting in our garden. We've got a little birdhouse, um, but we're not we're not sure if they're actually in there or not. We keep seeing them kind of on the edge, but I'm too scared to look in it in case I scare them away. Yeah. I just want to sort of keep my distance. Yeah. And but you hear them that they're um, sort of seesaw sort of sound every morning. It's lovely. There but. was just me trying to work out if I'm mean enough to ask Sophie to demonstrate some bird calls. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know I almost did just then and you forgot myself, but. I will not subject anybody's ears to, to that. So have you been enjoying your learning about the garden beds? I have, very much so. I mean, it, it's it's got to the point where I've been in my boyfriend's tractor and I've heard one out on a field and I've been listening. I've been listening and I've been on the RSPB website Aww. trying to identify it. Oh, that's so nice. Aww. Oh, it's so exciting though. I have don't, you got I don't any know. top spots? What are your top spots? Well, so I saw a corn bunting oh. um, at the weekend actually. Nice. We were on the field. Yeah, and that was lovely. <laughs> we were on a field. We were on a field. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to see a goldfinch and my neighbour said that she spotted some in the garden previous years but not so many this year. Oh. Um, which is interesting. I, I know the RSPB have have been doing a bird watch they do their um mm. you know the, the bird watch they do every single year and the results have just come in and obviously sparrows are, are at the top still I mean you see a lot of those don't you but what what, what <laughs> <laughs> I just cracks it's lovely that you're seeing so so much um you know variety of different birds literally in my back garden there's like two massive wood pigeons <laughs> that just fight each other over and over <laughs> every day they fight each other and then like the odd blackbird I don't I really don't see anything yet and I wonder if it's because there's a cat next door that sort of is on the prowl oh, so that might put well, them off yeah. maybe I know I've talked about them loads of times before but I'll loan you some of Ipswich's enormous seagulls if you oh, want oh <laughs> oh yeah no I'd rather have terrifying. a pigeon they do sound absolutely <laughs> absolutely terrifying yeah. venture outside at your peril <laughs> <laughs> is it very much a take shelter situation where you go out and you're like oh back inside yeah. again because well, I can't bear that see you joke about that but that actually happened last summer I was getting some washing off the line and um there were loads doing sweeping everywhere and I was Aww. just a bit like no I think I'm gonna go in until they're finished <laughs> they are clever <laughs> though I will give them I mean I've seen that yeah. video of one of them um timing it so that when someone went into a shop it also like ran in at the same time when the doors opened picked out a packet of crisps and then came outside opened the packet and just oh started eating the packet goodness. of crisps it just stole a packet of they're crisps clever. See, I don't like to know they're that clever they're, that's that, does one that feel away. your bird fear? It's like one step from them taking over the world, to be honest with you. <laughs> My friend Tash said that she was in, she used to live in Wales and she sat on the beach once eating a burger and the seagull picked up the burger and I think she thought, oh, well, at least but like the seagull's going to enjoy it. It flew out to sea and just dropped it in the water. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. Just to spite yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, just such a waste, such a waste oh of the burger. Oh, my 
Goodness. <laughs> real torments. Yeah. Did I tell you I'm getting better at beds though? No. No, we need an update on your... <laughs> well, my, fr- my friend Catherine, who is the daughter of Kevin, who was on a few episodes ago. Oh, yes. Um, They have some chicks. Well had some chicks at this time the chicks are like adolescent and obviously I held a chick when it was basically mm. a cotton wool ball with legs like <laughs> cute what can possibly be scary about that it yeah. doesn't look like a bird last time I went there they still were a bit chicky but like had necks yeah and more chickeny bigger legs and I totally still held one wow. and it had actual feathers and things and it was really cute and it looked like an actual bird yeah it did was it still yeah. a bit skinny though like as in not as in thin I mean like like you could see its skin underneath its feathers well it had like you know the chicken fluff yeah chicken fluff, like a down, chick fluff. Like downy and then like oh. with feathers yeah so they look a bit like halfway between but it did make me think I still could not touch a pigeon like no offense to the pigeons of the world I'm not holding you not that you would want to be held by I me. have picked up a pigeon before. But I now feel like if another... We're coming back to that. Why on earth did you pick up a pigeon? But I feel like I could potentially, if I came across like an injured blackbird now, I feel like I Aww. could hold it and help yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So what's but the difference between a blackbird and a pigeon then? I can't explain it to you. They just make me feel panicky. And it's because they're bigger? I don't know. <laughs> Is it and their also faces? I don't want to sound like elitist to some forms of pigeon but like my special ones that really scare me are like London pigeons oh that's because they yeah. have no they are around humans so very much that they just don't care no, no they'll literally walk under your, your face, face yeah and mm. it's not gonna care yeah and I'm not a fan of that in general like I would like to if a pigeon needed help I would 100% find someone who could help a pigeon. Yeah. yeah. But I just wouldn't personally want to like grab at. Why did you grab at a pigeon? <laughs> well, when I was a little girl, we always used to go on a family holiday to Dorset once a year. And this was before, it's now like strictly like not allowed that you feed birds really like in most places. Mm-hmm. So in the 90s, I, I used to take some like either some bread or we used to buy some seeds or whatever. And, and we used to feed the pigeons and they would literally come up and like start picking at your hand and like eat, eat the seeds. <laughs> Laura's face I've, is a picture. I find it, yeah, yeah. If, if only we had a video right now, because Laura's looking more freaked out the more I'm talking. Um, and then I don't know, like because I had I've grown up with like budgies and things. I just like it's like a big budgie. So like sometimes like with when you're looking after a bird as a pet, you do have to pick them up to sort of either like examine them from the vet or like mm. you know different things. So I literally just picked one up and it was tame as anything wow. didn't even fight and then just put it back down again wow <laughs> but they're really soft i bet they yeah. love yeah i wonder if part of what's weird about them is that they have really massive bodies and really tiny heads but yeah that, yeah, is, that a is, a bit, is a bit freaky isn't mm. it i suppose when you think of it like that and the whole like pervy mating routine that they have yeah. is a bit weird do anywhere they'll do it anywhere yeah. yeah but it's like the 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 poor little female ones that make themselves that really small and worried and the big like the males make themselves bigger and it's like they're like on the pool. <laughs> <laughs> so you say that but also ducks like is yeah that, like, i love a duck a yeah. duck doesn't feel like a bird to me i mean i know it is but it it's doesn't a different t- feel it's different like a bird. it's a subspecies i think it doesn't have legs that are as freaky as bird legs yeah yeah but um i mean they're very aggressive in that regard yeah aren't they? yeah they are can i just did you just witness somebody in the office flail their arms up and down because I thought it was a giant bird <laughs> genuinely like it was like this like a you can't see what I'm doing but it was a giant flailing like bird flapping motion and I genuinely thought there was a bird coming <laughs> it was coming from the window I'm seeing it everywhere <laughs> who do you think our next interview is <laughs> 
Oh, dear. Oh well, I mean, on that wonderful <laughs> bird-themed note, um, I think I'm going to, like, go and breathe into a paper bag or something <laughs> <laughs> while I'm worrying about pigeons. Um, and, Sophie, you have some jobs on the plot for us. Yeah, I do. If you're finding that your pots are drying out too quickly, try moving them to a position where their bases are in the shade or cluster smaller pots around them to shield them and maintain more moisture. Peas and broad beans will be maturing quickly in the heat of the summer weather. Pick over your plants every day or two to ensure you harvest pods at their very best and to encourage more pods to develop. Also, finish planting out winter cabbages, kale and autumn cauliflowers early in the month. Get ahead for next year by planting out rooted strawberry runners in a position that you haven't grown strawberries in for three years, allowing them to establish before winter. Have a brilliant week and until next time, happy growing! for listening to this series of The Dirt. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for free so you never miss an episode. We'd love it if you'd rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to spread the word to your plot neighbours. Plus we have an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for listeners of The Dirt. All you need to do is visit growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash GYO52 that's GYO and the number 52 or call 0800 904 7000 and quote GYO52 to receive three issues for just £5. That's a saving of a whopping 76%. Every issue of Grow Your Own is packed with gardening advice, expert tips and tricks, and jobs to tick off your list. And each magazine comes with a wonderful bonus gift, such as selections of seeds. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And on a final exciting note, remember to get in touch if you or any of your gardening friends have some great stories of successes and fails on the plot. You could be a guest on the next series.